This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, well, on to the phone lines. Good morning, David. Morning, sir. Morning. Oh, doing well. How about you this morning? I'm getting ready, waiting for daylight. (laughs) (laughs) You got about an hour to wait, then it's going to be wonderful. There you go. Um, what's a good variety of a soft pear and or blueberry? Um, blueberries, I'm, I'm trying to grow a few and uh, not having that much luck, but uh, I need to know also how it would be a good way to test the pH of the soil for the blueberries. Well, there are, you know, there are a lot of different soil test kits out there. My experience with blueberries is uh, – it, it just they want a soil that is very very rich in organic material if you've got your soil high enough in organic material it's going to be breaking down and it's going to be forming all the fulvic acids all the humic acids it's going to give, be giving those plants all that they need uh regardless of whether the ph is you know 70 which is neutral or you know way on down is a logarithmic scale of course six is 10 times more acidic five is 10 times 10 10 times 100 times more acidic than neutral so i don't actually worry about the number if you've got if you're growing in just almost pure compost or a very very high composted material that drains well um, that's going to be the best we can do for blueberries in our part of the country now they also like shade and i you know again i i'm not sure i love blueberries don't get me wrong i've got two packages i just picked up at the organic section of heb yesterday but nobody grows blueberries real well in this area you can grow them you can get some blueberries from them i guess you get bragging rights if you can produce blueberries but uh you're never going to grow a real bumper crop of blueberries in you know an environment where our water is the ph is over eight and uh you just you know you're just fighting what mother nature intended they're not a an indigenous plant to this area so you're you're working hard to do it but i wouldn't you know i wouldn't worry about the actual number of the ph you can get a ph test kit you can get a ph meter you can send your soils down to texas plant and soils lab in edinburgh and get a complete look at everything there is about your soil but if you've got a shady spot or a big container or one of these fabric beds or something like that and you fill it with a soil that is very high in organic material you're going to grow blueberries as well as anybody in the area does but it's still not going to look like uh, the coast of north carolina Okay, okay. And uh, salt pear, what's a good variety? Oh, man, it doesn't exist. Um, I I can tell you good soft pears like Bartlett and several others, but the problem is pears are rated on a scale of 0 to 10 based on how susceptible they are to bacterial fire blight. Uh, All of the soft pears are very, very prone to bacterial fire blight, and trees rarely live more than a very few years. Um, uh, Those trees, if they're in an area where there's a lot of bacterial fire blight, like we have in our area, it's rare to have those trees live for more than just a few years, and that's why you don't see 
the soft pears grown in this area. Now, crisp pears, you can grow Warren, you can grow orange, you can grow kefir, Moonglow, Seckel, Douglas, Kamish. There are a lot of good pears that do well here that are fairly uh, fire blight resistant, but unfortunately, none of them are soft pears. The, the soft pears, you got to get into a more acidic soil. You've got to get into kind of a little bit different climate. And if you really want to try one, Bartlett is probably the one to try. But, man, do do all the right things. Don't fertilize with anything but organics. Don't prune that tree other than to take dead wood out of it. And uh, just do everything you possibly can, and you're still probably going to lose it to fire blight sometime in the next 10 years. So that's why you don't see a lot of soft pears grown in this area is their disease susceptibility. Well, I'm going to stick with my kefir, and it's got one tree, and i got more pears than I can blow out. <laughs> my grandfather used to do uh, make pear chutney, and he would can those pears and you know, in, in a fairly heavy syrup, and my gosh, they were good. And, and after you can them, they are soft and very, very tasty, but... You know, I still love, just like you, I love to take a pear, wash it, and just sit there and eat the thing like I do an apple. But um, you're going to have to move to a different part of the country to grow a good soft pear. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you or me either. There are things that I can, uh, you know, I, I can find plenty of things from the local area. But uh, take some of those kefirs and, uh, you know, try uh, golly, I, I just, my grandfather was a very creative cook, my grandmother too, but he just, he grew up in a family of uh, 10 kids and he was a chief cook for the family and he used to can them and he would put the, that candy they call red hots and things like that. And he did bunches Whoa. of different things with pears and man, I look forward to seeing pears on the plate in the evening, but, uh, um, it's, and, and we were picking the pears probably off Kiefer on a piece of property he owned outside of Dallas, but, uh, um, uh, that sort of the reason you don't see more soft pears in this area. All right. Very good, Bob. Have a great one. You do the same, David. Appreciate the call. Suzanne's next, and it'll be James. Good morning, Suzanne. Good morning, morning, Bob. Good morning. What a temporary frog in the throat there. Bob, I have a, a friend that I spoke with yesterday that has an outside cat they love, and he likes to dig her up. Uh, plants out of her flower gardens <laughs> our okay. beds uh-huh and she, she thought i might have something to tell her the only thing i could suggest was uh really coarse uh pe- pecan shell mulch in the beds that will help i was uh i was out at stone and soil depot this week and they've got Wonderful uh, lava gravel, too. Uh, They have both a gray and a red, and it's the same principle. It's sharp, and the kitty cats don't like digging in it where they can find soft soil somewhere close by. So I think that is, you know, those deterrents are probably best. Uh, There are some sprays. Some cats don't like the smell of lavenders. Uh, The vets sometimes have a product called Feel, as in feline, feel away. I've, you know, there, there's some pretty smelly products by liquid fence as far as dog and cat repellents, but, um, that pecan shell mulch is good or, uh, the lava gravel is good. The cats just don't like digging in either one of those because it's uh, hard on those uh, tender paws. Okay. I'll tell her that. <laughs> I know she's not going to get rid of that beloved cat. So. Oh, I, you know, kitty cats, uh, well, like all pets, you know, I, I have yet to find 
any pet that didn't have one or two bad habits, but for the most part, the, the love and affection and all the humor they bring into our lives outweighs the problem. But they can be very irritating at times, shall we say. And uh, it sounds like she's got one that has uh, a lot of good qualities and a couple of bad ones. But uh, the, the pecan shells, the lava would be the two ways I would go. Beyond that, you can try, you know, cotton balls soaked in lavender or you get uh, the liquid fence dog and cat repellent. And uh, you'll find which one works for that particular kitty cat. All right. I'll, tell, I'll pass that along to her. The, my, my second thing is I uh, <clears throat> I planted some bean seed out uh, two weeks ago, and out of a 12-foot row, I had one plant. Um, I had soaked my seed, but I think I may have over-soaked it, if that's possible, and that's my question. Yes, it is possible Instead to over-soak yeah, I. Okay, so that's I, what did it. Yeah, I try not to soak bean seed for more than five minutes max, and. Um, oh my. I think they drowned before they ever had a chance to sprout. Good news is, plant some more. We still have lots of time to grow good beans. <laughs> that's absolutely true. Do you have time for a third question? Yes. Okay. I, uh, my blackberry suffered last summer. It was because I was during that awful heat. I simply was not given enough water. I have extremely well well drained soil, uh-huh. and I I I, could, I was watching watching the the new growth die last yeah. summer. I've never seen that happen before. So it's no surprise to me that this spring when they're coming out, they're not the last year's new canes mm-hmm. are not not flowering or, nor and or leafing out to the tip. Part of that branch is dead. Um, I was reluctant to cut it back early. I did that the previous year and Mm -hmm. wound up losing some cane that would have potentially borne berries. Sure. So my question is, how can I be dead sure that it's dead? (laughs) Give it about six months. You know, in, in nature... Um, Mother Nature doesn't prune out those canes, and um, your plants, like probably most of the blackberries in the area, suffer from a very dry summer, and then we got a very, very wet fall, and blackberries take a lot more water than a lot of people realize, and um, if it gets to the point those canes are just brittle, if you can put on a pair of thorn-proof gloves and snap them, then you'll know they are dead. But you're just making it more convenient for you. I mean, taking out the old canes it produced, uh, they say that reduces disease problems. I don't know whether that's really true or not. But taking out the dead wood is uh, making it simply more convenient for us. You're not helping the plant in any way. So don't be in a big rush to do that. If they haven't leafed out two months from now, then I think you can probably assume that they are dead and just prune them out at your convenience. But at this point, I'm going to be spending my time and money fertilizing, watering properly, maybe adding a little bit of mulch to try to keep that soil a little bit cooler. Blackberries can be, you know, 80% dead and can still be brought back. And because they continually make new plants uh, and continue to grow, you can get those blackberries healthy again. But uh, whether or not you're pruning dead wood out of it, that's pretty low on my priority list. Okay. And then my, I have uh, new plants coming up everywhere. They're not mm-hmm. supposed to be. That's blackberries. Right. So do I, I, do I attempt 
to, do I like try to sever the, the, the root that attaches it to the other plant first and let it get a little bit bigger or just get as much of the root as I can and transplant I just get as much of the root as you can and transplant when it's convenient for you. I do like to let the little plants get up about six inches tall before I dig and move them. But, uh, um, I, again, I guess you could go in with your sharpshooter and work at severing that underground cane uh, if you wanted to, but I don't think it's necessary. I I would just like to say I let them get up to an appropriate size. I dig them. I water them in with some Garrett juice, some Super Thrive, something like that. And uh, nine out of ten of them are going to make it without any problem. Okay. And then uh, my Satsuma uh, tree was heavily damaged in that early freeze that we had last fall. Right. And I'm, I've got the same issue with it. And looking at it very closely, I can see little teeny tiny green uh, buds, leaf buds. Mm-hmm. And so I figured that eventually is going to come out. It, the branch looks horrible. Yeah. Well, again, the damage was. It. Yeah, it, it was. That freeze did damage things that would normally have not been damaged. I would give that plant probably another three weeks for those leaves to start developing and coming out. Um, if they don't seem to want to come out, sometimes by cutting them back, you concentrate those auxins, those hormones that make the buds sprout and begin to grow. And sometimes you just, by, by taking off, by reducing the stress of having longer limbs on there, sometimes you will force a plant to come out better by reducing the number of buds that it's trying to get to come out. As early as it is, as cool as it has been, um, I'm probably going to give it you know, another couple of weeks to see what it's going to do with those leaves. If they have not started developing normally by that time, then I'm going to be cutting it back. I'm going to be cutting into green wood. I'm probably going to be taking off half of the wood that's trying to sprout out because that's going to concentrate the things that make those leaves sprout and begin to grow. And um, I, I've seen times when plants didn't want to come out at all until you cut them back. So don't be in a rush to do it. But if they're not looking pretty good in a couple of weeks, then uh, let's say by Mother's Day. If they're not looking good by Mother's Day, I'm going to be in there doing some heavier pruning and not just taking the dead wood out. I'm going to be cutting back into live wood just to try to give the tree a better chance to uh, to make those little buds sprout and grow. Yeah. You know, that, that turned out to be a really... Uh, a calamitous event for that tree. I yep. lost half of my tree. Yeah. Uh, that one night. Well, it's uh, it it was most unusual, but this is a year filled with unusual weather. So, <laughs> I just hope we avoid the the hail and the potential you know collision uh, the the weather events that result from the colliding of warm and cold fronts. And my meteorologist friend warned me early on that this could be a spring full of some kind of wild weather. But uh, yeah, that that early freeze to damage the things that normally wouldn't have been bothered at all. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. And first up is James. Good morning, James. Morning, well, I'm good, sir. Hoping I would hear from you this morning. How's everything in your garden these cool, brilliant mornings? Oh, everything's going pretty good for me, except my old aching back. That's, uh, <laughs> mulching those 125-foot tomato rows takes a few wheelbarrows of uh, 
wood chips, but I got it done. Well, that's uh, you know, it it as they say it. Uh, it keeps you young. I had an old uh, fellow up in Wyoming he used to say, "We don't stop walking because we grow old. We grow old because we uh, stop walking." And uh, I tell myself that same thing every now and then. It really is good, even though it does create some pain. But uh, I tell you, it's uh, yeah. Whether it's mulching, whether it's uh, just weeding, uh, all those things that you do, bending over or lifting, uh, they they take a toll after a while. Yes, sir. That's a fact. Hey, I'm uh, thinking about fall tomatoes. How about you? I am. As a matter of fact, I was thinking uh, that it's, I'm probably going to give it about two weeks, but I'll be planting my seed uh, early May for my fall tomatoes because I'm just convinced that starting those fall tomatoes in June rather than waiting till mid-July when the extension folks uh, want to talk about it. Every time I, and, and my problem is I have to start it myself. I can't get any of the growers to grow me a good transplant in June. But when I have grown my own and planted them in June, I have had a heck of a lot better fall tomatoes than planting them later. What's your experience? Yeah, I tried to get started a little earlier too. What what kind of date in uh, June are you looking at to set the seeds in the trays? Well, for me, it takes about six weeks to make a really nice transplant. So I'm gonna, you know, all things being equal, all my my priorities. I never run out of things to do. It's just a matter of figuring out what's most important. Unless something weird happens, I will get my seed planted the first or second week of June. I'm sorry, first or second week of May. First or second week of May, so that I've got transplants ready by June 15th at the latest. The reason I'm asking is I'm going to do some. Uh some grafted tomatoes this fall and see what blows up uh-huh so i need an extra two weeks that's that's the reason i was asking you i need to get get started a week or two earlier than that yeah yeah well it's how have you how how's your spring planting of grafting uh, grafted tomatoes doing for you okay we made a mistake we selected the maxi fort root stock uh-huh. and it's just making the just big Tree tomatoes, you know, they're just going going on the veg. Uh, we should use the estamino, which would uh, give you uh, more generative uh, production. Okay. Of the fruit, so we're just we're using the maxi fort that the Dutch use on their acres and acres of uh, string <laughs> tomatoes, and that that was a wrong decision. But they're growing well. Hopefully, they'll. Uh, They'll uh, grow out of it and start fruiting, but there's nobody around here you can talk to about grafting rootstocks because not too many people do it. No, and it's just it's a learning experience. That's uh, you know that old Will Rogers quote is good judgment comes mainly from experience, which comes mainly from bad judgment. wasn't really bad judgment. It's just. Uh, uh, as the guy said, I have some successes and I have some learning experiences. It's not a failure if you learn from it. And uh, like you said, you're you're leading the pack. Nobody else is out there trying it. So uh, um, I, I know in retrospect, you you're probably saying, you know, I should have tried some of each instead of putting all my all my plant so to speak onto one rootstock but um you you've learned from it i'll be very interested to see how these plants ultimately max out and produce for you and uh also to see how your new rootstock works out yeah me too the 
the early girls on the Maxi Ford are just God, they're loading up the stem at the the stems are an inch thick. They're just doing great. Uh, that's what I want to talk to you about. That early girl's been replaced with new girl. Uh huh. It's better flavor with a a larger tomato, so everybody is happy about how that's producing. And we'll we'll be into red tomatoes here in uh, I'm going to guess ten days. On the, on the, <laughs> now that's fantastic to to have good vine ripe tomatoes by Mother's Day. You're doing it right. I'm stumbling towards success. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. The reason I called you was um, on the melon crops. I get the soil prepared. I put the tea tape down, and then I put the hoop loops on, mm-hmm. and then either transplant or seed, and then cover the whole ball of wax with a, a row cover. Right. Well, this spring has been so cool that I put a uh all that uh what do you call it frost cloth over yep. the watermelon plantings and i've been able to get the soil temperature almost all the way up to 90 wow yeah that's what i'm shooting for uh because it's so cool the soil temperatures are so cool i wanted to try to get those melons up and it's working that uh frost cloth is uh is warming that soil up quite a bit and are you putting it on your hoops? Are you putting it in close contact to the soil? How are you using that frost cloth, James? Okay, the the wimpy cloth goes on first, the insect right. barrier. And then uh, that's about 18 inches off of the ground on the hoops. And okay. then uh, the frost cloth goes on top of that with sandbags on, on the outside. And it's doing a real good job of warming that uh, that growing bed up. So mm-hmm. that frost cloth is just not for frost anymore, man. Around here, we're uh, we're using it to aid uh, germination on uh, plants that really like warm soil. And you're you're getting plenty of light through it, so that the things once they germinate, they're making stocky little plants. You're not getting tall and spindly for lack of light. Well, nothing's come up yet, but uh-huh. when they start coming a popping, I'll pull that uh, frost cloth off, and they'll still have a, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it. It's it's uh, uh, Agribond yeah. uh, 19. They'll still have that on it, so they'll get 85% light on that. Well, that should be good. That should be good. It'll just uh, make your back hurt just a little bit more, putting all that frost cloth on and off but sounds like you found out what works for you and you almost have to do that because if you don't have warm soil you're not going to sprout your melons well so uh uh that's real good advice well it's either black plastic or uh you know cover it up with something that's going to warm the soil and i'm really moving away from that black plastic because it seems like the the fire ants like the set up camp underneath that soil. well i've found the same thing and anything that cuts off oxygen penetration is not going to be good for your root system so uh, uh to me there are a lot of reasons the only place i use black plastic is if i want to kill everything that's underneath it and uh, i can put up with fire ants because i can then kill them later but i'm i'm just not a black plastic plastic fan i know they use it uh out with strawberry production and things like that you see acres of it in california but here in Texas, I I think your frost cloth, I think you found a far better way to go. Yeah, it's a whole lot easier to handle, too. Uh, one more thing before uh, 
Uh, you know that Sudan grass for cover crop? I think you can grow that stuff on the moon, man. I mean, uh, yeah. it, is, it is wonderful stuff. And did you did you figure out which one? Did you find any of the higher sugar contents? Uh, we talked at some point, and you were looking for the old Hygera or one of those uh, older ones that seemed to have more sugar in it. Were you successful in locating any of that seed? No, I wasn't. Uh, we were we were going to get uh, a one inch range, so I went with what the Sudan that mm-hmm. I had. Yeah, but I still need to do some research on that and any. Uh, any of your research, I would appreciate. Well, I tell you, we're we're kind of uh, you know up to our neck in in spring business right now. But I'll I'll have time this summer to do a little more research on that, and I'll be more than happy to do it. Right now, we're we're kind of busy helping people get their fiesta gardens and their Easter gardens and all their flowers and things out there growing. So uh, my days are spent mainly doing other work. My my colder or hotter months are my time for more research but it's i've certainly got it on my list of things to try to help you find because it sounds like such a good idea great uh, when are you going to cover your uh, tomatoes with your 30 percent shade this uh, season do you know you know i'm going to plant my fall tomatoes underneath that 30 percent shade and uh i have a you know i have a fixed rigid frame that i built with cedar post and three-quarter inch pipe uh, so it's a little bit more work than I usually have time to do to be putting shade cloth on and off. But my garden's so big, and I'm not growing commercial like you are. So I just have I'm just uh, plant my spring and summer tomatoes uh, in my sun garden. When I plant my fall tomatoes, he'll start out under that 30% shade and keep going all summer under there. That sounds about the way I do it. Okay, Bob, let me get uh, get off and let. Uh let one of your other callers. Well, it'll be Tim and Margie and Kim. Uh, you have a great Easter, James. Always a pleasure visiting with you. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. And goodbye. All right. Back to gardening and uh, back to the phone line. It's going to be Tim, Margie, Kim, and Thomas. And Tim's up first. Good morning, Tim. Um, good morning. Um, I bought several varieties of uh, salvia. Okay. Uh, different colors. And I live out in the country between the critters and the deer. I kind of would have to move them into a fenced area every evening. But the question is, will they grow in pots, all the different kinds of salvia? I, virtually every salvia that I can think of will be happy in a pot. But now some of them are going to need bigger pots than others. Uh, you know, a lot of the smaller salvias uh, will be happy in maybe a 10-inch pot. But when I think of things like indigo spires and salvia leucantha and some of these yeah, things... Couple I've got in Sylvia Gregi. Now, Gregi will grow in a smaller pot, but uh, okay. Lucantha, Indigo Spires, those things are going to need a pot the size of a whiskey barrel to really do well. Oh, uh, because impractical to move. Yeah, it's but but you don't have to move them. I mean, put them in place and just. Uh, uh, because they're cold hardy and gosh, my business partners had a indigo spires two of them actually growing in the same spots in her garden for must be 10 years now. And every now and then we have to go in and thin them out. But, uh, these are not things that are going to have to be dragged inside to protect from cold. I mean, they're you only going to concern, concerned about that. It's, I live out in the country and right. between the critters and the cats and actually the deer been munching on them already. Right. I kind of have to move them into a fenced area in the evening. And that was my concern. Ah, okay. So you're doing yeah, it on so, a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. So specific varieties of, of salvia that I can grow in a small 
all a pot? Well, there are yeah. a bunch of them. Salvia gregii, you mentioned, is one that will yeah. do fine in a smaller pot. There are some shorter blue salvias. There's one out there they're just calling Big Blue. Uh, there's another one of my favorites. Uh, it's called Evolution is a blue salvia. Um, I've got a couple of those. I did buy a couple of those, too. Those okay. are great ones. If you, uh, uh, There's another one called Eyelash Sage, Salvia blepharophylla which is okay. uh, a really neat one. Uh, meadow sage is a low-growing one. It only gets about four or five inches tall, but puts up oh, a tall thing. But look for uh, meadow sage. Um, yeah, it will be one of your prettiest lower ones. Um, golly, I can go on and on. There's Yeah, uh, there's so many different types of varieties. Right. I, w- I yeah. guess I, the ones, uh, it might be a shorter list to tell you what to stay away from. And that is, well, I guess yeah. I, I shouldn't put it that way. If you want to grow Salvia Lucantha, the Mexican bush sage, you're just going to have to prune it to keep from getting, you know, four and a half feet tall and four feet wide. You can prune it down okay. and keep it to a smaller plant, but uh, it's one of the ones that really likes to get get big uh salvia indigo spires is another one that likes to get tall but some of those blue ones that i mentioned uh, are practically identical in a shorter statured plant um there is a red flowered one called pineapple sage hummingbirds love it and that would be another one that would be uh, a, a little different color would be real pretty uh in a pot uh, now, there is a yellow salvia that's fall-blooming that also gets to be a monster, um, so I would stay away from it. But uh, okay. I, uh, but most of the other salvias, and, you know, there are well over 100 different species and probably 1,000 yeah, hybrids there's now. There's so many I've found. <laughs> yeah. So there's plenty out there. But, but be sure and plant some meadow sage. That's one of the prettiest ones, and it's one of the most compact plants, but it is a very, very free bloomer. Okay. All right. I appreciate all your help, and I enjoy your show very much. I appreciate it, Tim. You have a happy Easter weekend. Thank you, sir. You too. Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Margie's turn. Good morning, Margie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I was just going to sleep with all your commercials. Oh, man. Don't get me started on that. I'll just get in trouble. I said, oh, my gosh, it's time to sleep already. Yeah. Uh, My question is, uh, my iris bloom early in March. Right. And I wanted to transplant them. Is it time to transplant them already? Because I already bloomed the first of the month up. Well, if you have to transplant bearded iris, you can do it now, but the best time for most perennials like that, we transplant them the opposite of their bloom season. If they bloom in the spring, we transplant them in the fall. If they bloom in the fall, we transplant in the spring. So the best time to transplant those bearded iris is going to be September, October, November, uh, they're tough, hardy plants. If you have to do it now, you can. But if you can wait till fall, that will be the best time possible to transplant them. Okay. And then I want to ask you, uh, if I cut a piece of plain of uh, asalia, I mean, lentil, no, no, I think it's, uh, what do you call it? It's, it's like a... But they come in, in double flowers, they come in single flowers. Are you thinking of Althea? Uh, Althea, Althea. Yeah, Althea or, or Rose of Sharon is another name for them. Uh-huh. Althea, I want to cut a, a piece and plant it on the ground. Do that in uh, November as well. 
Woody shrubs like Althea's don't root well at this time of year, but in the fall months, uh, October, November, December, you can take cuttings and root them from your Althea's just fine. And I can, if I, if I cut them and put them in a pot, it won't grow, uh, start growing? Well, it's best, um, I root Althea's, and I used to work for a nursery where I, I had to propagate about a million plants a year. And uh, we grew, uh, we rooted the Althea cuttings in uh, big trays of perlite and sand. We rooted them in November, December, then potted them up into individual pots February, March, the next spring. So I'm not one who's ever been able to just stick them in the dirt and have them grow. But rooting them in perlite have been very successful at growing them. Okay. When is the time to plant like a seed of serrano? Uh, Serrano peppers right now. I'll be planting serranos tomorrow afternoon. A plants or seeds? From plants. Um, you, If you want to start the seeds, start them in pots. I've never been successful direct seeding serranos or jalapenos or really any of the peppers into the ground. But most of your nurseries will have serranos and other peppers as little six-inch tall plants, and right now is a good time to plant them. And what about chili pekin? Chili pekin, uh, same way. Um, the seeds don't germinate easily, but, uh, everybody loves them so much. Golly, we've got dozens of plants. I think most nurseries probably have plenty of chili pekin and chili patine. Both will have plenty of little plants for you to set out. And now's a great time to do it. Okay. That's all my question. Happy, uh, holidays for you all. To you as well, Margie. You have a wonderful Easter. We'll talk again.